Welcome back, everybody. I'm in my spacious studio again outside, so you're going to hear outside noises. And uh, we're having you back today to talk about a topic near and dear to me. I like talking about this very controversial pain problem. It's not controversial to me, but others call it a wastebasket diagnosis. Others call it even worse. Uh, It's uh, fibromyalgia. So it's not always fun to listen to a talk on fibromyalgia because first and foremost, it can't be seen, touched, felt, or measured, and we have no specific diagnostic test for fibromyalgia. But we can do things with it, and this is going to be specifically focused on diagnosing fibromyalgia, and I'll follow up with how to treat fibromyalgia in the next podcast. So I'm often asked about what the proper process to diagnose fibromyalgia is. Well, it really is an interesting problem when there is no specific diagnostic test, so it's a diagnosis of exclusion. It is not a wastebasket problem. In fact, it's uh, an inflammatory problem that's getting more and more intention as we understand the brain more and we're understanding brain science at warp speed now and the work of Linda Watkins among others is introducing us to the true facts that the brain is inflamed just like other parts of our body joints uh, muscular uh, tendon sheath it just widespread pain. That's how you describe this, and you got to go from there. So it's an exercise in what you don't have first, and you throw in the differential diagnosis to better equip yourself at coming to the proper conclusion. What's a differential diagnosis? Well, it's similar symptoms seen with other problems in the same person. So, okay. How How is that different than comorbid? Comorbid's for the next podcast, but comorbid is different disease states, clearly defined in the same person. So fibromyalgia is that. It's a syndrome. It's a group of problems. It's not a specific problem. And it also is associated with many comorbidities. I call them the fibro five. Irritable bowel, chronic fatigue, muscle pain, headache pelvic pain sometimes. Um, It's not an inflammatory problem per se. There's nothing wrong with the muscles. It's a problem that is much more complex involving uh, multiple systems, and I think of it inside out as opposed to outside in. Inside out means I think it starts in the central nervous system and is expressed peripherally. In other words, those trigger points, uh, the American College of Rheumatology says there's a bunch of them. You can look them up on Dr. Google. But we go in and we do some muscle work, deep deep tissue, or we go in there and we uh, do our trigger point, dry needle stimulation, whatever you do to those trigger points, and sometimes it makes it worse. You find out... At a later date, 24, 48 hours, you have not helped yourself. I'm not a big fan of uh, muscle energy and massage therapy and fibromyalgia because, first of all, again, it is not a muscle problem. It is a peripheral manifestation of a central nervous 
uh, central problem. And uh, remember, a nociceptor or a nerve area or nerve tissue is normal if it hurts. And if something is abnormal and it is creating more pain than you would expect, like a trigger point, without a clear sense of pathology, muscle biopsies and all that sort of thing throughout the years have been fruitless, then what you're doing is you're seeing that expression from the central nervous system. Why do you want to aggravate that? Because the central nervous system will respond. And as we get to know more about glial cells and central activation disorders, we're going to be able to take this fibromyalgia diagnosis and apply it to many other problems. And that's happening now. Neuroscience is changing. And I will be updating fibromyalgia regularly because we understand the brain so much better than we did even two years ago. So you develop that differential diagnosis. You understand there's comorbidities. And you say, well, like what? (laughs) Well, you got to be careful that you don't overlook something as a, quote, wastebasket diagnosis. Some of those uh, are going to be Lyme disease, rheumatoid arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, uh, multiple sclerosis. That's a big one right there. Lupus, thyroid disease, scleroderma. That's that's just a few. Fibromyalgia is often uh, associated with mixed depressive disorder, situational depression, anxiety, memory disturbance, sleep, sleep problems, a lot of times sleep deprivation, which is a manifestation of many painful disorders. Sleep stays in alpha-2 intrusion, and it doesn't go to deep stage 4. you got to go to deep stage 4 to develop memories and uh, to help the central nervous system replenish itself so you're awake and functioning the next day and happy. (laughs) You're a happy person. If you look at mixed depressive disorders as a reality, uh, about 30 to 40 percent, depending on where you read, uh, are resistant to traditional antidepressants, SSRIs, SNRIs, etc. And they take weeks to work and you don't even know if they really work. So we go back to rule four, that's know thy drugs, right? And we take it uh, to uh, rule one at the beginning of any fibromyalgia Uh, discussion. Uh, Pain is a description. It's not an entity. And even if you can't see it, the most probable pain problems, the neuropathies, the headaches, the things you just can't really see, have a way of figuring themselves out in that differential diagnosis. Some neuropathies, you can do nerve conduction studies on. You see changes. Um, Some headaches, you can uh, pick up brainwave activity or other changes, uh, but you don't want to see anything on an MRI. That's kind of a bad situation. But a lot of headaches uh, go without a clear diagnosis. So why why is fibromyalgia uh, in the gutter in so many clinicians' minds? Because it's traditionally and in eras before mine thought to be um, a malaise, uh, a, a type of problem that um, is coming from a person that is just depressed. They're just depressed. Their anxiety is real high. I think they just want medicines. That is not true. That is definitely not true. So fibromyalgia, to, to define it, it has no definitive test, but that doesn't mean it's not defined. You have vectors and you have treatment options 
and some treatment limitations that can better improve outcome. Because rule five is, uh, from a compassion standpoint, I want to relieve your pain. From a realistic standpoint, I want to improve your function. So when you approach fibromyalgia and you approach it to outcomes, you're going to apply those benchmarks. There it is again, um, at three, six, nine, twelve months. And if you're not there, you want to know why. And so function is how we describe fibromyalgia. And it's frustrating for clinicians when you walk in the room. And I'm telling you, I've done pain for a long time. And whenever you walk in the room, how are you? I'm worse. Well, what do you mean by that? And uh, What's your pain level? Seven. Well, the last six times I've seen you, it's been six, seven, eight. What are we doing to improve things? So you look at function. That's what you, that's, that's where the best approach is going to come from. All right, so in 1990, thereabouts, the American College of Rheumatology established criteria, and they've updated them. It's widespread pain with tender points. Uh, we've all seen the, um, the sketches on uh, front and posterior uh, trigger points. And that's that. Where are the trigger points coming from? What do they do? I don't know. I don't know. Central nervous system manif- manifestation, I'm sure, peripherally. Okay, so it's a syndrome. It's a group of problems, and they vary by the individual. But the common denominator in the uh, neurochemistry of how fibromyalgia works, especially being a central nervous system problem, is it has associated with it situational depression anxiety almost universally. So, all right. It's a lengthy differential diagnosis. You go down and you eliminate things, the important things. And there you have your widespread pain by criteria, and you treat what you can treat. So we're starting to whittle away at the peripheral diagnoses or comorbidities, and you're getting down uh, to the tip of the arrow, which will be fibromyalgia itself. So enter fibromyalgia patient. As I'll say many times dealing with musculoskeletal pain, it isn't one visit. It's many visits, and you uh, take fibromyalgia not as a whole at each visit, but you take the components you can treat, and you work on those and emphasize function and quality of life indices. This does not mean it's an opioid deficiency. It does not mean that everybody needs to be on an antidepressant or a gabapentinoid. Uh, anti-inflammatory agents I'd use very cautiously. The comorbidity being arthritis, and you be very careful with NSAIDs. I'm almost going to say they have to have a real reason, and they would be used PRN only. People, I know, everybody knows this, that if you get it over the counter, it has no side effects, and it's not going to hurt you, right? It's completely safe. Wrong. The same study of a few years ago... Um, showed that as many people died from NSAIDs per year as from HIV, more than car accidents. And it's not a benign drug, all right? So we make a diagnosis, and we're getting into um, the patient treatment profile. I'm going to get into that more in the next podcast, but the uh, question does come up. well, what am I going to use for pain? Doc, I need some for pain. Uh, I hate being called Doc. Uh, oh, God. I'm, I just hear it from that little rabbit all my youth. Hey, what's up, Doc? Well, 
the opioid risk reward benefit is always has to be clearly identified because the risk of dependency, that's not addiction, by the way, and the likelihood of tolerance, that's not addiction, by the way, usually result when you use opioids chronically. Now, I do, and I will tell you, I do use opioids in some folks with fibromyalgia, but I'm careful. And I'm going to talk more about low-dose naltrexone in the future and how it might decrease central nervous system inflammation, which may make it really a sweet option. You have to have it compounded, but it's pretty cheap, and it's got low incidence of side effects, very, very low. I have some other suggestions, too. You also will absolutely want to do some blood work, blood panels, and uh, rule out the important things like that uh, the thyroid is working correctly that the ANARA or SED rate isn't elevated, okay? That points toward the rheumatoid. And if they come in and they've had malaise, low fever, that sort of thing, you know, do do workup for um, Lyme disease, do workup for vitamin deficiency. A lot of fibromyalgia patients have a vitamin D deficiency. I think it's probably from not being outside and the sedentary lifestyle seen so often. Also, some drugs really can uh, suppress certain uh, axes uh, that are important for brain health, and that would be opioids in particular. All right. Remember, pain is a description, not an entity. We have some drugs that people think are okay to give, like tramadol, and I say that's fine. I say it's fine. That's a pain reliever. It's about one-thirtieth as potent as morphine. Uh, some people say it's better than that. I, I, I don't think much of it. And if they're on uh, serotonin, certain nergic drugs, antidepressants, which most are, um, you got that, that ser- uh, serotonin ser- uh, syndrome uh, to think about and to watch for and to be vigilant. All right. So... This is what I like in, in Rule 4, is you pick five classes and you pick five drugs in each class. That might be gabapentinoids, it might be NSAIDs, it might be opioids, it might be benzos, eh. It might be muscle relaxers, eh. Uh, it, it could be a whole bunch of different categories, but you pick, your, you, you pick your five and five in them. And then once you really get a handle on those five drugs, go to another five. So you have in your armamentarium... Uh, a strong uh, approach to dealing with many painful entities. Gabapentinoids are interesting. Uh, I did a study. That's this is a whole another uh, vector, um, and I'm not going down the rabbit hole. But Park Davis used to have Neurontin, and what happened with Neurontin is it came out in a letter in 1994, letter to the editor about how it does X, Y, and Z for the this type of problem, and in per- particular neuropathic pain, some radicular pain, that sort of thing, but we started using it because it seemed to enhance stage 4 sleep, which it does, it seemed to be opioid sparing, which it is, and uh, I got real interested in it for fibromyalgia, so I did a study with Park Davis, and I can tell you it is opioid sparing. Uh, it is a very good drug of fibromyalgia, but this is before pregabalin. This was a a uh, specific um, study to, um, I guess, walk pregabalin into the labeling process 
for fibromyalgia, which they did get. Uh, gabapentin is, is generic. Uh, the pregabalin or Lyrica is generic. Uh, but only pregabalin is um, good for uh, fibromyalgia on a labeling side. All right. Okay. So um, the diagnosis of fibromyalgia is not easy to make. It's methodical, and it's worthwhile to correctly define this condition, this condition or syndrome to minimize the side effects that one can get from so many of these drugs. They tend to have sensitivities. Um, they tend to have uh, this dynamic abnormality and migrating pain that you don't want to chase. Rule five, but you do want to treat it and treat it effectively and minimize escalation of controlled substances. The desire to be on benzodiazepines are high. Benzodiazepines interfere with sleep architecture. They make your sleep worse, which makes pain worse. They interfere with memory. Yuck, not good. They're terrible muscle relaxers. And I know the desire is to give value as a muscle relaxer traditionally. And it does work with some people, but those people also have um, this kind of I guess you'd you'd say they're um, protecting themselves and they have anxiety and they're splinting. It kind of works there. I do not like corresponding. Oh, that's soma. Yeah, soma is metabolized to a bad drug, uh, meprobamate, and I believe that's a drug that killed Marilyn Monroe. So. Highly habit-forming, not a good drug. So be careful with your choices. Know your fibro-5 comorbidity. Understand the differential diagnosis is lengthy, and it should be respected. And understand that your choice of medications is not short-term and should be a conversation that's ongoing and dynamic. You're probably going to need to get uh, different labs from time to time. You're going to need to be following other um, potential disease states, thyroid and the like. Um, that was uncomfortable. I just yanked my earbuds out. Um, and you're going to have to have some skill with this and patience. Lord knows uh, I'm not I'm not the best at that uh, patience thing, but I do uh, respect the disease state. I like to treat it. I uh, believe that uh, of the many different things we treat, it's not easy to treat, but that's kind of what makes it fun is when you get a breakthrough. Uh, it's so rewarding for healthcare provider and recipient as well. It's just, it's one of those things where breakthroughs are good and they can be had. So I'm going to end with this, okay? Being able to walk without pain is a blessing. Being able to walk without showing pain is a skill. Kay McPherson. All right, well, listen, thanks for showing up. Uh, we'll go on to the uh, next topic, which will be about uh, how to treat it, how to treat fibromyalgia. And we uh, will probably go pretty deep into that one. And uh, I'm sure I'll enjoy that podcast. Um, I've written an article on it, and I'll post that on pain information. And please leave a review for me in iTunes. It really helps. helps me. I don't know if it helps me rank. They say it doesn't. I think it does. And um, tell your friends and neighbors. And, uh, you know, if, you, if you're a sky writer, if you could put something in the sky, I'd appreciate that as well. All right. Have a good day. Bye.